everybody, and welcome back to our monthly yearbooking report podcast. If this is your first time listening in, welcome. I'm Scott Geezy. I'm in my 20th year as a representative for Justin's Yearbooks. I'm very honored to be a certified journalism educator with the JEA. I'm a lifelong journalist, and I love storytelling. That's why I do this job. And in my two decades of doing this, I've noticed if there's one area that the great majority of yearbook staffs really struggle with, it's design. It could be overall book design, page designing, theme working, and so on. A lot of folks really have a hard time with this. They do work rather randomly, just kind of put it together. And at the end of the year, they might have a pretty nice book, but there's no real plan, no rhyme or reason. And the best yearbooks out there always have a plan, always have a look, always have a rhyme and reason. But for most folks, how do you get there? Well, recently we spoke with our friend Rick Brooks. Rick has been a creative design manager for Jostens for well over two decades. Just recently, he was really honored by winning the Pioneer Award for 2018 from the NSPA. And as far as scholastic journalism is concerned, that's about as high an award as you can get. So congratulations for Rick. It is richly deserved, as you're about to hear, some great ideas on how you and your staff can really improve your overall yearbook design for this year. We caught up with Rick recently in his rather cozy office. If you have a chance to watch our yearbooking report video, check that out. Interesting place Rick has there. And he shared some great tips and advice with us. Rick, first off, appreciate you taking time because I know you have a really busy schedule. I think you're all, are you all over the country now I, for I your am. work? I am. Okay. So we appreciate you taking some time. We're going to talk about design in this episode here. Um, now, first, you and I have known each other for, wow, two decades now. Correct. At least. Um, once upon a time, when I was a lowly green Greenhorn rep, you were a cover artist in our state college facility, and a really good one. But... Let's do some background here. Tell our folks, you know, how long you've been doing this. You're obviously a fantastic artist. How long have you been doing that? How'd you get started in this? Well, it started in college, actually. It started in high school. I was my yearbook editor at my high school. Then I went on to college. I majored in commercial design, um, fine arts, but I also added education and journalism to that because I did the yearbook. So I started to really fall in love with the journalistic part of it. Um, right after school, I worked with mentally handicapped adults in the D.C. area, which was, was very fulfilling. But I got a job offer from Jostens way back, way back, and I decided to do that. And I became a designer in State College where I would actually sit with customers. And I learned that I really loved that sitting with people and designing with them and doing things for them. I really loved that part. But I did a lot of cover design in State College when it was a... a publishing facility when we actually had presses and we had a full art department with in the front presses in the back it was just an amazing place to visit um, we now have that in Clarksville but it's uh, it's pretty impressive to see all that stuff work but I did a lot of cover design a lot of cover setup a lot of production mm -hmm. um, about about 15 years ago I actually left the facility to go into sales management so I started this creative design piece um, kind of like our cams. Um, I actually was one of the cams for several years, mm -hmm. but I kind of spun off from that group to really work with mostly colleges and a lot of large high schools scattered throughout the entire country. Do you count? you have any idea how many covers you've made? 
I'm just going to say a lot. <laughs> if you look up there, that library, there's a wow. lot of books in that library. How many total years? It uh, started in 86. So it's, That's it's a lot. quite a few. 32, 32 if I do years, some quick yes. math. Okay. Now, recently, now, first of all, we have a lot of people that either watch or listen to this. We have rookie people, brand new to your book. I know we've got some veteran people who've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I'm assuming we probably have some JEA members who are really into that and will be going to Chicago in November for the fall uh, convention for JEA. You're going to be getting a very special award at that from the NSPA, if I'm correct. correct. That's the National Scholastic Press Association called the Pioneer Award, which is like the pinnacle Descri- I mean, describe this award. What what are, what have you done? <laughs> well, it's it's, it, it's actually very humbling and, and very wonderful to kind of be recognized for more than just the art that I do, for more than just what I do for the company. It's kind of how I've I've helped journalists and schools really go beyond, and that's really what it's about. The people that get this award, the people that are getting it this year, are I'm in with a very impressive group of people. And that's what is very humbling to me. It's a really great award. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, that's, wow, that's terrific. Now, you mentioned being a cover artist. We have no idea how many covers you've made. A ton. A ton. What, now, I've had a chance to work with you and a lot of our terrific current Jostens cover artists. And, of course, I'm someone who can barely draw a stick, man. So I am just blown away by you guys. And I often insult you, like, you guys are disgusting. All right? You're so good. When you sit down with a school, hopefully you have a little idea in advance on what they want. I but I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't begin to do that. How, how do you sit down and start essentially with nothing and turn it into, wow, this is really something? Well, the best artists in this country that do this, the best people that do this, kind of have a, a stockpile of information in their brain, just scattered information from everywhere. And that is really what you draw upon. All your experiences, all the things you've seen, everything you see on Pinterest, you don't really keep it. You just keep track of it in your brain somehow. It's just a different type of of brain. But it's almost better if I don't know in advance because then it really doesn't feed on my ideas. It feeds on your ideas or the customer's ideas, Mm -hmm. their ideas. Um, All they have to do is tell me what they like and what they think about. And that's kind of how I start to work with them. So really, when I work with a client, it's really a back and forth thing. So when we're done, they have something they really love. They have something they did, which is really my goal to do that. When did you find out that, hey, I like this art thing. I'm pretty good at it. When did you first find that out? I I found out when I was a kid. I used to do little drawings and my dad would sell them at work. He, whoa, whoa, he would sell them? Yes, he sold wow. them quarters, 50 cents, a dollar, sometimes five dollars. Wow. These little pieces of art. And I found out later he never sold that work, but I really felt he was. I believed that I was famous. I believed that I had what it took by not having anything. I just drew little pictures. But it was a great way to encourage a child. He did a great job encouraging me with that. Okay. Uh, stick man, I'm sorry, I'm stick man. They were, stick all, men. Stick, they were absolutely stick. You man. did stick men. 
Epson. I find that hard to believe. I did stickmen, balloon faces, everything normal (laughs) children do, I did. And I would color them wacky, just like normal children do. Everything I did was the same. It's just that I was encouraged at the right time. And I decided to, to make myself better. Okay. So I kept doing it for a very long time. How many different ways is there to make a cover? I mean, when I've worked with you or with other folks, they're now, you know, sketch, computer, painting. Uh, how many different ways is there? Well, really, conceptually, there's only there's only one thing. There's only the creativity of it. It doesn't matter whether it's done by pencil, drawn out by hand on a napkin. It doesn't matter how it's done, or whether it's done on a computer, where you see the fonts exactly what they are. It's all about the conceptual part of it. So there's really only one real way, but many techniques, many brushes, many pencils, many different techniques to create it. But it's really the same thing. So much today is computerized. Now, when you do work, is it all on the computer or is there still some throwback to a sketch or a painting or a watercolor or something? There's a great deal of that that happens. Um, some, Some clients love the look of hand done art. And some of them really truly do know the difference between a Photoshop filter of a graphic pen and a real line pen ink, pen ink drawing. Some really do know that. And my goal is to make sure they get exactly what they want, what they like. But there are schools like West Point and Holy Cross that do true oil paintings for the entire surface of the book. And it's actually really done by hand. Um, and some that, that do pencil drawings. Sometimes students at the school are so good and so gifted mm-hmm. that they can actually prepare these materials themselves. I have, I have a lot of clients that actually have students that do the artwork from my sketch. They'll look at it and render it from that and do their own piece of fine art that's placed on them the actual cover of the book. Wow. And I would assume in the interior as well. well in the interior yeah. as well. The interior kind of goes along with the cover. It's got to be all part of it. So it's computers have not taken over everything. No, it's just another tool. I mean, I, I love a computer versus laying tool tape. We used to have to lay tool tape. <laughs> if anybody knows what that is, it's hysterical. <laughs> but it literally is a piece of tape that looks like a tool line that mm-hmm. you pasted down very straight, which is impossible, and then took a photo of. That's kind of what it used to be. Now it is a click and a line drawn. It's a it's an amazing, amazing time saver, but it's a tool. It's just another tool. Mm, okay. Now, the main thing we want to talk about today is page design, all right, because any school out there listening is doing page designing of various kinds. My first question is, I've been doing this for two decades, and this seems to be the most difficult part of the deal for most yearbook staffs and advisors. All right, opening question. You're extremely gifted. Again, I'm stick man, okay? Why is design so hard for so many folks? Why is it so challenging? You know what, I truly believe there, there is one reason that it's difficult. It's because we look at ourselves for inspiration. We look at last year's book for inspiration. We look at the year before last. We go back in our own best stuff and try to replicate that stuff again and again and again. And sometimes the stuff was great, but we don't tend to improve it. There are ways to improve absolutely any design, no matter how fabulous it is. There are ways to do that, and it's really being inspired by other stuff. Other people's stuff, just inspiration, not taking it, but actually being inspired by it. There's stacks of books behind you, stacks of books up there. 
I don't really look at those and take stuff out of them, but I look at them and get inspired by them. And that's, that's how to accomplish great graphic design is to really be inspired by others. So part of this maybe is we're not looking out for new ideas. It's very insular, like, ah, I'm just going to do the same old thing. Yeah, I actually teach in one of my lectures, I actually talk about it in one of my lectures, that if you use Pinterest to find ideas, don't go to your book. That's not where to find ideas for your book. The place to find ideas is to go to brochure design or magazine design or anything that's not yearbook because then you get something that's very contemporary, very, very new, very trendy, and usually very readable. And that's the only purpose for graphic design in the beginning. It's to communicate. And a lot of times we don't. We don't do a great job communicating. We get caught up in the design. And that's not what this is about at all. This is about making material readable and presentable and beautiful. That's kind of what it is. That's what design is. It's to communicate. And if we're not communicating, we're doing nothing at all. Yeah, a couple of years ago, you put a presentation together that I used at a couple of statewide, yeah. well, sort of statewide workshops, okay? And it was about design. Mm -hmm. And you had a slide in there, and it, I think it was a picture of a newsstand. There was all these magazines in, on yeah. a newsstand. Now, those aren't your books, but certainly we could look at... Well, not all magazines, I guess. Some magazines... Exactly. Okay, fo exactly follow true. on that. What am I right. going here? Right. Some magazines, yes. Yeah, some, eh, not just, so much. Just because someone did something professionally doesn't mean it's good. You have to use your gut instinct when you look at anything. And if you think something is odd or wrong or doesn't look great, it doesn't. It, it doesn't look great. There are things out there that don't look good all the time. They're all around us. There's advertising that's not good. There's magazine design. Every, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And then there's a lot of great stuff. And you've got to use your gut looking at it. Whether you love it, then it's good. That's just kind of how it is. It's kind of like a font. If you look at it and say, I don't know if I can read this. Nobody can read it. You can't read it. If you think some color looks ridiculous, it, it does look ridiculous. It's one of those things where you have to use your instincts, everybody. Because anybody that's touching these pages in books, any student, any teacher, anyone that's actually touching a page, doing anything to it, is a designer. They have to accept the fact that they're a designer and their goal is to package those photos, package that text, package those materials for other people to look at in a pleasing way. That's kind of how it works. We'll get back to more with our friend Rick Brooks about yearbook design in just a moment. Of course, a big part of design is the cover. That's the first thing people are going to see when you hand out those new books eventually. Your cover, the question is, is it done yet? We're here in the fall, no matter who you work with and so on. If you're a spring book or if you're a fall book, really need to get your cover design done, if not already, sometime soon. If you're a spring book, your book comes out in, say, May and June, Make it a goal if you can, working with your Jossens representative. Let's see if we can either get that designed or chosen by the end of October. If you're a fall book, you come out, say, August, September, and so on. Let's see if you can possibly get it done by Thanksgiving break. Now, why is this important? Well, as we're talking about design in this episode here, you need a look, you need a plan, colors, theme elements, and so on. And the longer you wait to actually create those things or choose them, Maybe the harder it is to make your pages on the inside of the book because you have no rhyme or reason. 
So if you've been kind of waiting, maybe you just haven't gotten around to it yet, either selecting a, a stock company cover out of a book, that's perfectly fine. Or, of course, if you do your own design, if you haven't done it yet, sooner rather than later is definitely the best advice. So again, if you haven't done this already, get together with your Jostens representative. See if you can figure out your cover design sooner rather than later, and then take that look, those items, those colors, and so on, and find ways to utilize them on the inside of your book with some terrific page designing. And speaking of that, let's go back to more of our interview now with our friend Rick Brooks. All right, so let's see if we can find some basic instincts. I'm going to assume that we have some rookie people, folks that really don't have that much yearbook experience and so on. They're watching and listening here. Let's go over some quick design basics. If I've got two blank pages in front of me and I'm going to make a page layout, a single page, a spread, whatever, what are some quick basics? Every good design should have some things. Well, the, the first basic, and that's exactly what you just said, two blank pages on a screen is where everybody starts. And that's the worst place to start. Because it's not inspiring, it's not moving, it's not creative. A sketch on a napkin, on a piece of paper, anything, just showing kind of what you want is where you should start. You should just conceptualize that before you go to really make something. Really start to work with the concept stuff because being a concept artist is really that's, that's kind of what I do. I do more conceptual design than I do physical design. And that's kind of the most important part, is to develop your concept before you start making pages and putting text in, is to get that idea down and then put it on the screen. That's the first step. The other step is to actually use elements that enhance the goal, which is to show the photographs. Sticking a piece of artwork on a page doesn't enhance anything. It doesn't make the photo look better. It doesn't make the copy look more readable. Adding materials that aren't effective is, is a huge mistake that people make. It's, it's one of those things that come from going back to last year's book and last year's book and last year's book. We kind of get caught up in the fact that we, oh, we have to put clip art on the page. And I'm, it, it, do, it doesn't mean I don't like clip art because there's some things, because clip art is just art. And sometimes it can be fantastic. If used in the right way, very minimalistic, kind of as an accent, something thematic, something that builds the concept, it can be very effective, but it can't contrast the concept. Some folks, I'll use the word terrified, some folks are terrified of white space on a page. Like, I have to fill it with something. And so usually it's a background. And what do you tell folks that say, no, you know, white space is our friend. Is white space our friend? White space is your best friend. White space is the only thing that makes graphic design graphic design. Otherwise, it is literally just a filled page. There's no real design to anything that's an entire page filled with photos. That's not design at all. That's just a scrapbook of photos. There's a difference between your books and scrapbooks, and a lot of your books are really scrapbooks. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge difference, and it's the design. Um, without that white space, without white space is a way to present images, usually in a very pleasing fashion, if you position them correctly, you leave the white space around it. Some of the most beautiful designs are almost all white space with areas selected for photography and for copy. 
it's a friend. I've never done scrapbooking. Uh, I've never done that. When I now maybe I'm wrong here. Okay, when I think scrapbooking, I'm thinking about sort of almost random designs. Or am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. It, it can be random designs. A lot of, I mean, I'm not saying anything negative about scrapbooking because there's a reason for it, but it's not a yearbook. It's a totally different thing. It's a piece of art in itself. It's something very personal to that person, something very unique, a very interesting way to present your children or whatever you're presenting, but it's very personal to the person that did it because it's all about the art, all about ribbons and bows and stars and things and things that meant something to the occasion. It's that kind of thing. Where a yearbook is more about communication and more about a pleasing design. That's okay. kind of the difference in my brain. All right, if I brought you into a school and they're just starting out and they're starting to work on pages and here's my friend Rick, some quick tips on what a good page design really has to have. Different kinds of elements and so on. What, what would some of those well, the be? First, the first key thing is, is the photography there still needs to be a dominant image. It doesn't have to be an entire page. It doesn't have to be two and a half times, which is what we said for a very long time. It doesn't have to be two and a half times the size of anything on a page, but it needs to be larger. And in contrast to that larger image, there should be an image on that page that's smaller. It's a subordinate image in the same proportion as that big image. If those two things appear on the page and 10, five, eight, 16, it doesn't really even matter, smaller images surround it. It is pleasing. That's kind of how to develop that pleasing design to get one thing larger, one thing smaller, and then fill the rest in. One observation I've made over the years for folks who just, it's pretty much they sit down, make a page now, and off they go. They make all their elements the same size. I'm, I don't know if they're trying to be fair, like I'm gonna be fair to everybody, so they're all gonna be the same size. Uh, what do you tell folks that, that would have that kind of a thought? There, there should, there, well, sometimes there should be things that are the same size. If, if there's a thematic reason to do three images in a row, four images, whatever, whatever the thematic reason is. But for basic design stuff, everything should have a variety of shape, size, and proportion. There should be vertical images. There should be horizontal images and square ones. There should be a good variety. And if you really look at photography, because we crop things, they're all a variety of images. We're never just to have all squares in life. We have different things, things that are very horizontal or things that can be cropped to very horizontal. And we really ought to crop images because a lot of them are taken with things like a phone and people don't crop them at all. They're just all horizontal images, all the same. And phones have become so great and so used for photography in the classroom that everything we're getting is a horizontal thing. And that's a bad direction turn that phone sideways just like you would a camera. And people typically don't do that. I don't do that myself. I have a million horizontal photos because I, I don't think about turning it. Wait, horizontal or vertical? I have a million horizontal photos. I take them horizontally. Okay. That's just my way to do Most it. Most folks, when they hold a phone... Some people do. Some, it's, it's, they it's, hold it they straight up and one, down. You the know? same way every time. And it doesn't matter whether you have too many verticals or too many horizontals. You just don't want that to happen in your book. You want variety. Okay. So we have this usually called a dominant photo or a dominant element, bigger than all the rest, somewhere on your spread, probably somewhere near the middle. 
what's what's another thing that a really good page or spread really should have this? Well, your that that design working from the center out always happens. It's called a bullseye effect, and you actually work with the heavier things toward the center, and kind of let them dissipate out on the page. Um, the white space is typically along the outside, sometimes deliberately placed in the inside, but there's got to be a headline. Every every page, every double page spread ought to have some headline and some copy. There should always be something. Not just for journalistic reasons, because these are journalistic things, but for design reasons. Because then you have the black space, which is what the photos might appear when you squint at them. Then you have the gray space, which is what the topy, copy is, and the headline text. So you have this white, gray, black headed toward mm -hmm. the center. So you have a pleasing arrangement and then good contrast. Um, copy is a wonderful design element. I actually like it always to work with copy in the design. The headline text, it's probably the most difficult and the worst issue that people have because they select something way too decorative and then try to counterbalance the design and you really can never get there. The copy, the headlines, those things should not be so thematic, so visually thematic that they overwhelm the design. Text important on a page? It is important. It's very important. Why? It's for not, not just for journalistic reasons, but for design reasons, because it's our gray area. That's our gray area. Otherwise, we just have black and white. Because I like to think of photos as the black images, as the black area, and text as the gray. And that's why visually it's important on the page. I've always had this observation. Let's see if you agree, because you've been at this longer than me. I kind of break design down now into two parts, what I usually call traditional and maybe what I call contemporary. Contemporary seems to have more pictures. Or am I wrong? If we go back 30, 40 years, it seemed like there were fewer photos on a page or a spread than we have today. Or am I wrong? You're, you're correct. And there's a, there's a really easy reason that that has happened. Photography used to be incredibly expensive incredibly expensive. You had to buy film, you had to get film processed, you had to resize things, you had to send it away to have enlargements made. This whole process was a very difficult and very expensive one. Um, even 20 years ago, it was difficult mm -hmm. and expensive to do. Photography is, is unbelievably easy to gain access to now. Everybody has photos, we have replay it, people can upload photos. You have access to so much more photography that we want to put those on a page. We want to get more people in a publication because if you're in a publication, you're more likely to like it. And there's a real good reason there because everybody likes to look at themselves. But that's why so many publications have added so many images. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as all of them are not little, as long as there's a contrast to size. Okay. What I refer to as traditional fewer photos is that still acceptable? It is acceptable, especially in a collegiate market. In, in, the, in the collegiate world, that is acceptable because that goal for colleges is really never to put everybody in the book three times or four times or two times. They know they can't do that. When you have 40,000 students at a school, you're not getting 40,000 people in a book. You're kind of representing the feel of the college. It's kind of a representative feeling. Where in a high school, it's more about inclusivity, including all those people as much as you can, and I think there's a good thing there. But back 40 years ago, that was not really thought about. We kind of just 
ignored everybody at the school, did our own little thing, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then you got what you got. And that's not where we are right now. We'll get back to the final segment with Creative Design Manager Rick Brooks here in just a moment. How about some quick news and notes here at the this stage of the fall? Probably pretty soon, your photography efforts with your portrait photographer should be completed. And that would be your original images and any retakes that needed to be done. That should be coming up here shortly. And if you haven't already, communicate with your photographer, if it's a company or if it's maybe some local photographer, Tell them that preferably you want just one copy, one disc, or one online download link with all of your portrait images, your originals and your retakes together. Preferably just one. Now there are some companies and some photographers out there, they like to toss out separate copies. It seems like every time they do some work, and then we get two, we get three, we get four different versions. Of course, that can be rather confusing. So if you haven't already, maybe communicate with your photographer or photography company. You want just one version, one disc, or one download link after they are all done, retakes included in there, to try to minimize any confusion. Get those items to Jostens in this case. We'll get them up for you, Yearbook Avenue or other uh, maybe Monarch or InDesign users as well. And then off you go with your portrait sections. And speaking of pictures, Coming up here probably pretty soon, we're going to be opening up entries for the 2019 Jostens Photo Contest. And uh, if you've seen some of the pictures every year, they are amazing. And they're all taken by either high school or sometimes middle school or junior high students. So be on the lookout on your Yearbook Avenue website for Jostens users for the announcement about when entries will be open for this year's photo contest. Make sure that you download the rules and regulations and all that sort of thing. It's all done online now. It's free, easy to do. One quick note, remember you're supposed to be getting permission from people in your picture in order to use that picture in the contest. Now, of course, if you have some giant picture of a crowd, no, we're not going to ask you to get a thousand people's permission, all right? But if you have like one or two or three people in a picture and it's a close-up and so on, yes, you're supposed to get written permission from those folks. It's easily done. We'll give you the form and then you can enter in that particular entry. We have a lot of different categories once again this year, so stay on the lookout for the official announcement about the opening of this year's 2019 Jostens Photo Contest and then enter. A lot of kids take great photos and they never enter them. We'd like to get more entries. We get thousands every year. We'd like more. So make sure to enter and watch out for that announcement. Now let's go back to our final segment on design with our friend Rick Brooks. Now some folks use what's usually called modular design, which is, well, you know what that is. First of all, explain what that is. Why, why is that a good idea for folks that want to go down that road? Well, it's interesting because you get variety and maintain consistency. And I know that's kind of conflicting, but it's really what happens. Because you have, say, 10 modules, and that's a little design package with a collection of photos, a collection of text, and a collection of maybe quotes, whatever it might be. Even sometimes art. Some factoids that use clip art and have made, they can be very effective that way. But those little modules, there's maybe 10 different ones, and they are scattered within an entire design package. So you'll use one here, and then two pages later you'll use it again. So there's variety, 
but because it's repeating and because they've been designed as one style, it tends to look like a whole package in the end. It can be very effective, but there's not just art modules, there's photo modules, there's text modules, there's different styles of the same font family in those modules too. So it's a very interesting technique. The one thing you have to be wary of is if you use pre-designed ones, if you use these, if you're putting together a modular design with someone else's modules, which is what everybody really does, you really have to be careful not to alter them too much. Because just because you don't use copy, when you take all the copy out of a module, and replace it with photos, you've gotten rid of the whole concept of a module. And then you kind of just have an odd collection of photos that don't fit up against the rest of the design. So when you alter them too much, when you alter the, their meaning, you can really change the design a lot. Let's talk about theme. Now there are a lot of schools, they'll come to Well State College or they'll go to Clarksville, one of our other facilities, or whoever you work with, you go and you sit down with an artist and you have a cool theme and you make a neat cover and it looks really great. And then when it comes time to working in the book, that theme just sort of disappears. How do we work a theme so that it really works in a book? Well, the, the biggest problem is not working the theme, it's overworking it. Because the theme does not have to be stated over and over and over again on every page and that's unfortunately what sometimes happens and that's really not it's about a theme is about a feel because you have a great cover design a great end sheet design maybe a great opening that are very thematic there ought to be something to visually link that theme to the rest of the book sometimes it's a font style I mean sometimes if you're using foundations or Helvetica that ultra light might be used for your theme and then the ultra bold might be used in your book so they relate but they don't copy each other the themes not blasted at the person over and over and over again because no one wants to see that kind of thing sometimes it's a color or a texture or some other visual element a tool line something really simple can carry through a book and actually make a book carry as opposed to stamping the same thing over and over again now you mentioned visual the other half of this is usually verbal, right. and I've seen folks, they'll take some key word from their theme, and I think, like you touched on, they kind of use it over and over and over and over and over again. That's the overworking That's you're talking about? But how it can do you, be done visually and verbally. Absolutely. Can well, then how do you get around that for the verbal half of this? Use variations of the stuff. Use the meaning of it. Use the theme. Use the concept. Um, never just keep repeating great. I mean, there are other things that mean great. And maybe variations of that can be used in a publication. Is this something that's only, you know, it's only a college thing? Only high schools can do this. I'm thinking about our younger audiences, middle schools and so on. Is this somehow beyond them? No, not, not at all. Not, not at all. There are some great middle school books in this country. There are absolutely some, Mays Middle School is fabulous, a fabulous book. There are lots of them out there. Um, it's not, it's the leadership. It's, it's the leadership. It's not that just because someone's a middle school student, they can't do this. They absolutely can do it. But the leadership has to be there to guide them, to guide any student. Even in college, someone needs some guidance to say, yes, that's a great idea, but you could probably do this and make it even better. There's, there's a way to do that with all age students. Now, your work now, I believe, primarily is with colleges and a universities. Lot, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of, majority of it or so on. Now, we sort of touched on this a little earlier, but 
you would think that a yearbook is a yearbook is a yearbook, but when I see a college yearbook and I see maybe like a high school yearbook, I see two different things. Why, why is that? Why, why aren't they the same? It's, it's kind of that goal. We get caught up in the fact that we have to put one million photos in a high school book, and, and we don't. Sometimes using the most effective things, the most effective groupings of photos, are better for us. I think it's great to put everybody in the book. I think that's wonderful, and I think we should have everybody in the book two or three times. I think that's a great thing. But to just put a photo in to get Scott in the book, and you're this big, <laughs> that's really really tiny <laughs> in the middle of a big photo that's a useless image and colleges typically don't do that they really well because there are a lot of photographers that are trying to become photographers so they want to present their images in more of a gallery effect so that sometimes happens too so you get books that could be placed on a coffee table but I will say that many of our high schools have done the same thing many high schools in the country have gone that direction where they're very inclusive, but they really think about the beauty of the book. They really think about, the, especially for those theme pages. You don't have to have 75 photos on a theme page, but you should have a lot more photos on a student life page. But maybe that divider only has three or maybe one. Maybe that's the most effective use if you have a great photo. If you have great images, if you have a student at your school that can take great photography, and I know a lot of us do, that ought to be featured. That should be the goal, to use it when it's beautiful. Now, there are a lot of colleges and universities that used to have a yearbook, and it just died. It just went away. I don't know, lack of interest, lack of sales. For, um, for some schools out there that, boy, I really wish we could restart our college yearbook again, what's a tip or two to help get them off the ground? What, what could they do to restart their yearbooking effort? It, it's, a, it's an effort. It, it's an effort, but it happens, and it happens all the time. It happened at my college. They actually stopped publishing a book and then restarted publishing a book, which is a wonderful thing to happen, um, and many schools have done that. Usually a book goes away not because they didn't have students that want it. That's not the answer. That, that's, that's not why books go away. Books go away because they didn't have someone to do it because it's a lot of work. They didn't have someone to lead it, they didn't have someone to do it, and therefore they didn't have someone to sell it or promote it. And if you don't promote it, the students don't even know there's a book. So that's why they go away. Starting it up again really takes nothing more than having someone with a lot of energy that really wants it to happen. Because if they start the publication, start a staff, get something going, and promote it to the student body, they'll have customers. They'll have people that want books. People do want them. It, that's not the, the problem. It's not getting them to them, not creating them in the first place. So if you build it, they will come. They will come. Interesting. Okay. If you build something great, they will come. If you just put together something that means nothing for them, if you put together a book of you and your four friends, <laughs> that's a good way to get nobody to want your book. It can happen easily. So I'll sell five books. You'll sell five okay. books. Okay, that, that's not good. All right, forget that plan. All right, as a wrap-up, because uh, we're about out of time here, um, for those folks maybe listening so on, that are, they're, maybe they're struggling a little bit right now. I mean, we're going into the winter time as we're recording this. Some quick tips and ideas that maybe we've touched on or maybe not. This is how you can make a great yearbook. Here's what you need to do. Well, that, that key point 
is not just using last year's book. Get 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 away from that and just be inspired by anything. Pinterest is, has done wonders for people. There are so many better mm-hmm. books now because of that, because now we have quick access to beautiful stuff. There's beautiful stuff out there. Business cards that just are amazing. The, the mm-hmm. college brochures are outstanding. There's great things out there. Get inspired by that stuff, because if you make it beautiful, the next step is to make it readable. And that's a whole different thing that matters a lot. But once you get that to be readable, it starts to be desirable because you're really communicating something and that can be amazing things. Be real careful with those fonts. Fonts can be your best friend because I love fonts and I love all those 1.5 million free fonts that are on the internet. (laughs) There's really only 17. You know what I mean? Just versions of the same thing. Another version of the same font. Really be careful. If it's not readable to everybody, it's really not functional. Rick, congratulations again on winning the Pioneer Award. I'd love to be in Chicago to see that. That would be pretty cool. That's going to be a fun week for you. It will be. It'll it'll be a great visit there. Appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Scott. Well, folks, we hope you got some great ideas about yearbook design with our friend Rick Brooks, who really knows his stuff. If you ever get a chance to see Rick in a workshop setting and so on, go there. He is terrific with lots of tremendous examples on how any book out there, I mean from elementary up through college, can make a better book simply by really concentrating more on design. And great design is actually a lot of fun. When that book is done, it is absolutely beautiful and people will love it. So hopefully you got some great ideas and tips from this month's interview. And thanks for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.